Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. I am your host, John Richards, along here with my co-host, C. Lass. What's up, man? What up? What's cracking? This is episode number 27 of the Boxing One Podcast, and we got some great topics to cover today, and we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. And you can't start a podcast in March without talking about March Madness. We've gone through one weekend of March Madness which was actually, let me just say this, okay? My new name is probably going to be Negro Damas. I think I'm going to take that name on because I did pick (laughs) on our last episode, I did pick Rhode Island to beat Creighton as an upset pick, and it happened. Now, Silas, what was your upset pick? Well, it depends if you're saying just talking or what I actually put in my bracket. Because I actually thought that Michigan had a really good chance to be like that UConn team that won the Big East with Kimba Walker and then carried that momentum over to the tournament. Unfortunately, that was all talk because when it came time to pull out my bracket, I still had Louisville advancing. So when I was on the podcast, I was shouting Michigan. When it was time to fill out my bracket, my heart went with Louisville. I'm an ACC guy. And they let me down, Jay Rich. Wow. Head was going one way, heart went another, and Michigan is still rolling. You might still be right, though, man. They might be that UConn team. We'll see. They are playing some high-level basketball right now. The truth of the matter is, Yeah, but I should have stuck with it. We really didn't have very much madness this opening weekend, though, right? Thursday, a lot of people had perfect brackets, and I'm like, what? Where's the madness? Where are the upsets where we're like, whoa, I can't believe that happened? Like, we had some on Saturday and Sunday, but for the most part, it was pretty chalky, right? Only madness for me was the ACC teams taking L's, and that wasn't a good madness. That was a bad, bad madness. We already knew that ACC teams were pretty overrated. At least I thought so. And I didn't watch very much college basketball, but I knew for a fact that Virginia, with that anemic offense was going to have some problems, for sure. So we're just going to go there, huh? Oh, I had to. I had to, man. You know, you represent VA, so I got to talk about VA. I got to talk about the whole DMV area because Maryland jacked my bracket up because Trimble forgot how to play basketball somehow. But it's all good. One thing I do want to ask you, though, because we have some teams with lower seeds who are playing some high-level basketball. So in your mind... If you had to reseed these teams, are there any teams that you make higher seeds in the tournament as the selection committee and say, hey, they're playing some pretty good basketball right now. They're not a blank seed, 9, 10, 11, 8 seed. Who would that be? Well, I'm going to keep beating that horse, um, proverbially, of course, but it's Michigan. It has to be Michigan. But honestly, Jay Rich, I think once you get to this point in the tournament, Uh, The nerves kind of are gone. So I don't think you see the upsets that you have seen in the past. I think Kansas knows who they are. They didn't get tripped up the first weekend of the tournament. And I think that your uh, top seeds are going to play like top seeds now. I think if you get a chance, you get them while they have nerves and they don't want to get embarrassed. But um, if you're going to reseed and you tell me to move one team up, it's going to be Michigan. I don't know who I would move down. Gonzaga didn't look great the first night, but they look really great the second night. I think it's probably right where it should be. But anything Michigan does at this point wouldn't surprise me. So that probably would be the team I moved up if I had to move someone. If I'm reseeding, I'm reseeding the team from the land of cheese, Wisconsin. They beat the number one overall seed in Villanova. 
which I, it does not make sense to me. How in the world is Wisconsin the worst eight seed in the country? You had teams like what Miami and other teams that were much worse, at least on paper or at least on the court, than Wisconsin. Wisconsin's made the Sweet 16 for as long as I can remember. And they're matched up against the number one overall seed, just a bad seeding for Villanova, really bad. And it turned out well for Wisconsin. We'll see how things turn out in that bracket, but um, it looks like they might actually be in line for a little bit of a run. So if I'm reseeding them, I'm actually making them a five or four over some of their contemporaries in their division. Like why do you have folks who are five and four seeds like Minnesota over Wisconsin. Um, so they stepped up in the tournament. Shout out to them. And I would I would receive them for sure. Absolutely. No doubt. Hands down. Jay Rich. What's up? We we gotta talk about the one piece of madness that did happen because I have a connection to that story. So um, as you know, because of things going on in North Carolina, the tournament was moved to Greenville, South Carolina. So Duke travels, even though they're the two seed, they travel and play. Uh, the Gamecocks in South Carolina. One of the guys, when I used to be a Young Life leader doing campus ministry at the high school, is a senior and he's a manager on that team. My man, William Saxman, Will I Am. And uh, they did it. They knocked off Duke, who, even though they were a two seed, were a favorite to win it because their bracket looked a little easy. But South Carolina wasn't having it. And my man Will has put in thousands and thousands of hours. He's not on scholarship. He is the manager. He wants to be a coach one day. He's put in all of these hours. And he uh, texted his dad and was like, man, these thousands of hours I put in it were all worth it for these two hours. So I'm hyped for my man, even though he's not he's not suiting up in the games. Still a huge part of that program. So shout out to my man Will I Am. Shout out to the homie Will I Am. And look, man. South Carolina has a good team. That dude, Thorn Thornwell, is a beast. Yes. Beast mode. I didn't even know about him. Apparently, he won SEC Player of the Year. So He balls. He's actually pretty good. So uh, yeah. shout out to the homie Will. You know everybody, man. You always have somebody on one of these teams who's – you're just that guy. <laughs> C-Lass is that guy. So shout out to the homie Will. And we're looking forward to seeing what happens this weekend in the madness speaking of madness we want to talk about your boy donald trump at a rally in louisville kentucky on monday he said something very interesting he addressed the crowd and he talked about your boy colin kaepernick trump said look nobody's picked this dude up you know why because they don't want the trump clap back because if anybody picks him up, they know they're going to get a tweet from me. So that's why this man is a mean tweet from me. Unemployed. Mean tweet. <laughs> nasty tweet. That's what he said. Straight nasty. So <laughs> Trump says this. And what does Cap do? He goes with the clap back. He says, I'm not going 140 characters. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going five figures on you, buddy. I'm going to donate 50 grand to Meals on Wheels. You know, that one of those programs you're talking about defunding, I'm going to give 50 grand to them as an unemployed football player. Was that like one of the best Twitter, quote unquote, clapbacks of the year? Yeah, it was the most indefensible twi Twitter clapback ever because you can't say a thing about it. What you going to say? 
what can you say? <laughs> he just called him an unemployed football player. He's like, I'm about to drop 50,000 on a program you defunded. And I'm not even going to respond to your tweet. That's gangster. And, and everybody's going to side with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We do need to talk about, you know, in all seriousness, we do need to talk about this budget or proposed budget from Trump because it does have some people in the Christian community a little bit concerned because he's defunding a lot of social programs that people have depended on for a very long time, including Meals on Wheels, which is the organization that Kaepernick actually um, donated the money to. See, last I know that you may have a personal vested interest in having this conversation because it, it has affected someone in your family personally in the past, right? Yeah, my wife. So she definitely has mercy gifts and she's very compassionate, but it's also birthed a lot of that is out of her own story of coming up as, um, before we met, she was a single mom raising a toddler. I think I came into Lodge's life when she was like two. So this really hits close to home. And she wrote a blog just saying um, what, I mean, just kind of outline for Christians, like, hey, how do we respond to some of these budget cuts? And what does it mean to be the church in this season? So I thought it was excellent. I thought she did a great job, very balanced, uh, very humble, but very passionate, very gospel centered. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And one of the things that in the blog itself that really stuck out to me is when she said, as a Christian, I don't place my hope in our government to care for the impoverished and elderly. I believe followers of Jesus Christ have a call to do more than pay taxes and show up at church on Sunday. So she's kind of putting the onus on the Christian community and saying, hey, look, guys, yeah, the government may be cutting these programs, but there's a Christian duty for us. Um, as a church, to be able to show up and actually provide for folks, provide for the marginalized, as scripture tells us. So I really appreciated her perspective on that, especially having been personally impacted um, by programs like this in the past. So I would definitely commend that blog to a lot of folks who are listening here. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. And just wanted to do a quick shout out to Elas, who apparently is the best writer in that household. That was the John Elas, what up? <laughs> that was the John Clap back on Elas. Now Elas has some good, <laughs> good writing skills as well. Again, I, I mean, what can you say? Like, I'm not arguing that. I'm not so sleeping on the couch, bro. Not, I'm here's not a, doing here, that. Here's a follow up question to that, right? Quick though, let's let's do this quickly. How in the world? do we go about praying for a government that does things contrary to our values? So something like this, that might be contrary to our values. How do we continue to lift these leaders up who do things like this that are really contrary to what we believe? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I know you are a bit of a theologian, but this idea of pilgrims and aliens is one that runs all the way through scripture, right? So it's, it's this theme of ever since we leave the garden and God promises our rescue that we're strangers, pilgrims, aliens. It's a theme we see from Genesis 3 to Revelation when the final restoration happens, right? And so like this is this is the norm. Like what we have experienced in our lifetime is an anomaly. Like it's not usually where your government will like coincide with your value systems. Like that would be pretty much foreign in scripture because these people were often aliens. So I think we just like, we can follow the pattern of scripture and say like, here's what believers 
did because their world was a lot more like that than it's been like America has been in the past. And so I think, right, I think my wife hit it on the head that like, hey, that ultimately, you can oversimplify those positions, right? Quickly, Democrats say like, hey, we see our government's responsibility as praying, like helping the poor Republicans, like overarching theme is like, hey, if you stop taking so much money out of our pockets, like we'll create more job opportunities. And instead of giving poor people handouts, we'll give them jobs and they'll have money and dignity. So everybody's trying to solve the same problem, but they just have different ways of going about it. The problem becomes is if you remove those programs and then greed kicks in and then, all right, where are all the jobs you promised? Where's the dignity and all of that? And you don't see it. Well, that's where Christians have to come in and say like, we're not waiting on our government to follow um, the epistle of First John's teachings, all the other commands to love the poor, over 2,000 in scripture. Um, we're rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty and having a faith you can see. And, and totally what happened in the first century. You got Romans and the Roman Empire throwing away babies, the Christians stepping up and saying, hey, we'll, we'll take them into our houses. Like, don't take them out to the, into the wilderness to die. Like, this is our sacrifice in doing this. Um, they treated slaves with respect. Like, so they were very countercultural. And I think that we have to increasingly do that. And it's going to hit our pocketbooks in order for us to be able to do that. Before, it was more so, hey, we're just going to lend our voice to this cause. But now we're going to see who really is about that life <laughs> in so many words. So I think it, it would about be about that gospel life. Yes, sir. So I think it's a good test, a good test for us as Christians to be able to step up to the plate and say, hey, I know that the government's not going to do this. So um, we're here to be able to to fill that role. All right, man. So see, last you be on the block, man. You one of those cats who be on the block a lot, man. So I know that you get a lot of conversations going about the gospel and about the Bible and about the veracity of claims in the Bible. And I think we want to be able to address some of those things here on the show. So I think there's a question that you want to bring up so that we can kind of flesh out some of the potential answers for those questions and our thoughts and reflections on those. Yeah. So basically on the block, it was on the social media block, but I just see my homeboy post and basically he was just starting a conversation. It's like, yo, how you know your Bible is true? And it really wasn't aimed at me, but this is like uh, my homeboy. He always be over here on the block, and I always we always rap about stuff like this. And so one of the things I always want to do is um, engage in those conversations. So hit him back and was like, "Let's go out to eat. Um, I'm paying, and we'll talk about this. I love talking about this stuff." And he was like, "Bet, let's talk about it." Well, some other of his boys, like mutual friends we have start saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming too. And I start looking at my checkbook and I was like, uh-oh. Wait, my checkbook uh, is, is set up. That ain't going <laughs> Yes, we're going to have the dollar menu McDonald's theology class. But I was super excited about it. And as we work towards a meeting that hasn't happened yet, it's like, all right, what are we going to say? Like, um, And that's kind of introducing the realm of apologetics um you know like studies in epistemology like how can we know something is true and then applying that to scripture and saying all right how can we know that the bible we have is really god's word so from my standpoint what we do um 
is we just do some historical apologetics and we say like, hey, here is how like stringent the Jewish people were. Their scribes worked this hard professionally. If they made one little mistake, they threw away the whole manuscript, started over. Like we can have confidence um, that we have the Old Testament that they handed down to us. And then we look at the New Testament and we see all of the manuscript comp like copies way more than any other piece of literature and antiquity. And we say like, this gives us confidence that we really have the words that were passed down. And then we look at some of the internal things, like the fact that it was written in three different languages, 45 different authors over a thousands of years span, and it doesn't contradict itself. And it all tells the same story. That's why we have confidence that we that it hasn't been changed or anything like that. And we know like internally that this word has changed us. So uh, that's kind of where we go with that. But having said all that, we just do that to level the playing field intellectually. We still believe it's only the gospel that changes hearts. Yeah. So, so yeah, first Peter three fifteen, right? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And I think one of the problems for a lot of Christians is that they don't necessarily have an answer um, for the hope that's in them. So when they get questions like this, the answer usually is, well, that's just what I believe. Like, let me let me quote a few verses for you without getting through um, some of those apologetic issues where you talk about the historicity um, of the text. And, and you go through canonization of scripture with some folks and, and talk about how the text actually came to be and how the early Christian church came around these texts and, and authenticated them as being written by the apostles or folks who walk with the apostles. So, so I think that, that a lot of Christians kind of shy away from those conversations. You can just see it from the fact that, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses show up at our doors and what do we do? We go and pull the shades or we tell them that we're busy today, not because we're actually busy because we're probably scrolling through timelines on Facebook, but we actually don't necessarily know how to give an answer to the hope that's that's in us. But on that same note, as you mentioned, like that's just tilling ground, so to speak, because, you know, Jesus talks about this in, in the gospel where he where he talks about um, soy seed being sown on certain types of ground things have to get down into the heart and you can't go through these you know this evidentiary apologetics or historical apologetics uh, without getting to the heart of the matter which is the gospel like this is what set us assess us free like sin has entered this world and and we're broken people and god had a redemptive plan from the beginning um, in the person and work of his son. So, so getting to that place, a lot of people start in that place, but there are some people who are some very, very rocky soil who need to have some of that apologetic stuff on the front end. And, and we have to have those answers. Like we have to. And the problem in the black community is we haven't had, always had those resources, but I'm grateful for folks like, uh, Eric Mason, who's having a conference coming up on, on apologetics. Um, and answering some of the tough questions from Hebrew Israelites and others. And then the Jew three project, who's also working in that sphere as well. So, so we like them. Yeah. We're getting equipped and, and I appreciate seeing that. I just want more and more Christians to be able to live out that passage 
um, in First Peter three fifteen. Hey, one final thought there too, man. So say you're a newer believer and you haven't really had. You feel like you are not equipped to have that conversation. At that point, what I would advise people to do is just be honest, be humble, be honest, and say like, "That is done for me." But some of these things, like I'm discovering for myself as well. But be able, even in that time, to point them to people who may be able to help them. You might be more of a bridge in that season of life. Like, hey, like this person helps me. Do you want me to see if we could all meet together? Do it humbly. You don't have to know everything. I've been walking with the Lord for like 20 years almost now, but there's still so much more for me to learn. And I never want to come across as a know-it-all. Like humility is key in these conversations. And um, if you don't know the answer, like help point them to people who may. That's a good word, man. And, and that's what First Peter goes on to say, like, hey, don't do not do this in a haughty manner. Like do it with gentleness um, and, and be humble in doing it. And if you don't know the answer, yeah, I, I've told people like, hey, I actually don't know that right now, but I can point you to a resource that does or I can get back with you. And that takes a lot of courage to do that because um, because it, it, you know, it's being transparent. We always want to close our episodes with offering some resources that we feel like will be transforming for folks' lives. So I want to start with you, Celeste. Anything you've been reading lately that you would just commend to folks or anything in your library that is a must-have for our listeners? Just been doing some spring cleaning today. I was off. And so I've been going through two audio books, both by Francis Chan, Crazy Love and um, The Forgotten Holy Spirit. And that might not be the name of the book, The Forgotten God. Forgotten yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So I've been going through both of those and I've just been kind of blown away. Um, something that I really needed to do is just saying, like, remember that there is a radical nature to the gospel. And sometimes you can like fall asleep in that. And um, it was just a great reminder um, to repent, believe. Um, be sold out for this gospel for the God who was sold out for me and that there are three persons to that Trinity. And uh, it's not just Jesus, 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 or the father, but there is a spirit who um, enables us and empowers us to live the Christian life. And just the premise of the book is Jesus said it was better if he went away because the spirit would guide you and just returning to that and just saying like, Lord, yeah, that's what I need to be empowered by the Holy spirit to live a life that counts for you. Along the same lines of our, our our last topic, I would probably commend the book Know Your Heretics or Know the Heretics by Justin Holcomb. Um, he actually walks through a lot of heretics in the early church. And as you read through them, you probably will realize that a lot of the older uh, controversies are things that are still around today. So, so you can definitely make it a whole lot of contemporary application out of reading this this short book. I, I really appreciate what Justin's done with actually outlining some of the early heresies in layman's terms. So it's sort of a, a book for the layperson. It's not really um, on that theological thirty thousand feet level. It's more so just laying out a history of of some of the heretics um, who have. Um, entered the church and how the church has handled them in an apologetic way. Chris, what you got as a closing shout out, man? Uh, I don't, I can't even think. I mean, I've just been so excited for my boy, William Saxman this week down there at South Carolina. That was going to be my shout out, but like I jumped the gun early and had to get him out in the podcast early. But again, just uh, that Saxman family has been great to me. 
always have appreciated them. We had Young Life and Campus Ministry in their house a ton. They would always feed us really well. So I'm just really excited to see them doing really well in the tournament. So Will I Am is my shout out for the week. What you got? My shout out is the beginning of fantasy baseball season. Yes, your boy Jay Rich plays fantasy baseball. I might be one of 10 black men who actually um, <laughs> participate in fantasy baseball leagues, but it's actually my... If your name is Negradamus, I feel like you got to. <laughs> it's actually my favorite fantasy sport. It, it helps the summer go by um, pretty fast, and I'm a big baseball fan. Love the Atlanta Braves, so um, looking forward to baseball season starting. Not necessarily looking forward to the Braves season, but baseball in general. So that's my shout out. Fantasy baseball, getting crunk. Excited about that. Let's roll. <laughs> All right. That's been episode number 27 of the Boxing One podcast. We appreciate you guys for joining us on this episode of the podcast. We'd also appreciate it if you can just go over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. Leave us some ratings and some reviews that helps get the podcast up in the rankings. We just want to be able to proclaim this gospel message um, through looking at Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. We love doing this, and we would love to um, to have you share that with other listeners. So go over there. Also follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast, and go over to our Facebook page and add us or like us. However, it goes on Facebook. That's what we want to do. All right, that's been episode twenty-seven. We'll see you guys on next week. Grace and peace to you.